Hi, Matt. Hi, Guy. How are you? I'm great, thanks. What about you? I'm, I'm doing very well. So now we are continuing with our series of uh, interviews. This is the second interview. In the previous interview, you interviewed me, and uh, now I will interview you. And then in the future, we will interview other uh, small investors. Let's start from the beginning. Can you give us some background about you? What, what did you do? Uh, what did you study? And what's your age, etc.? Sure. Uh, I'm 33. I'm Italian, like you. And I've studied um, aerospace and space engineering. Those are my bachelor degree and master degree. And then after that, for some reasons, I decided to uh, study for a PhD, also in Italy. And the PhD was in mechanics. And then after that, you know, there's the usual uh, series and sequence of postdocs. So I spent two years in, in Boston, in the US. Then I moved to Switzerland for three years. And then I moved to Denmark, where I, where I live now and where I work um, as an assistant professor. Excellent. So when did your investing journey start? So practically, it really started a few months ago. So only in, uh, I think, around October 2021, which if you think about it, it's kind of the worst or the best, depending on how you see it, time to start investing. I remember talking to you about it and um, we were coming from a lot of years of bull market. And then right when I, more or less, right when I started, and by started, I mean creating a brokerage account and those kind of things, really moving the money, uh, we started to get basically zero returns on, if I think about SPY and those kind of indices. And uh, this is still the situation uh, today. Then more um, theoretically or more, you know, ideally, I started to, to think about investing some years back, uh, maybe when we met again in, uh, in Boston, because I think you were already interested as you, as you also said it in the, in the, in the last interview. And uh, I kind of, you know, got started thinking about it. Actually, the first brokerage account I've ever had, I think I opened it in 2017, 2018, uh, when I was in Switzerland, but then I didn't use it. Like I never transferred any money. It was something like that was there and I wasn't thinking about it. And funnily, fun, funny enough, um, when I, when I decided to start again here in Denmark, I had to redo it from scratch. Why do you invest in the first place? What's the reason? So I think I'm one of those people that never thought about investing. I was uh, just saving from my Italian times where you know, I, was, I wasn't really saving to the American uh, years and the Swiss years when where, you know, the saving rate started to, to be considerable, even though we're still talking about a small amount of money. Uh, and then I think at that point where I had some cash that I wasn't really using, I think maybe it's natural to ask yourself, okay, what am I doing with it? Uh, because on one side, you see that if you do certain things, so if you are a little bit frugal, uh, it grows over time, but it doesn't grow exponentially unless uh, you are becoming some sort of manager in Switzerland or, I don't know, for very specific kind of jobs. For more normal and standard or average uh, careers, 
it doesn't grow uh, more than linearly usually. And so the question was, okay, what do I do with it? The fact that I was moving from country to country and I was only working on these kind of uh, temporary positions like a postdoc wasn't really helping because I was always afraid of taxes, uh, having to learn how to deal with them and how to pay them. I didn't want to start, for example, dealing with them in Switzerland and then having to uh, learn a new system ex novo. So that really was some sort of friction for me, for sure. But then I remember that when I moved to Denmark to a more uh, sort of permanent position with the cash I had, I was like, I should really think about what to do. And so the, the talks we had kind of came back to my mind and I was like, okay, maybe now I should uh, think about what to do. Because I think usually we go two ways. Either you buy a house, which doesn't mean that you can't invest, especially if you have enough money for a down payment and then every month you still have some free cash flow that you can invest, or you just go all in in investment. And uh, as you maybe said also in your interview, I found out that um, even though I live in a city that is not super expensive uh, for the real estate, it is a big chunk of money with respect to my salary. And so it's not an easy um, decision. It's not a no-brainer, let's say, especially if you're doing it alone. You're not in a couple or where you know things get easier. Uh, so when I had those first experiences, then I thought, okay, maybe I should really um, invest. The last trigger that is maybe even more important was thinking about pension because I got a little bit more into the details. Uh, I was just trying to figure out uh, how much, for example, I had earned in, in Switzerland, how much, if any. Uh, and how much I was gonna earn here in Denmark and put it aside, like just in a sort of standard uh, pension scheme. And the projections that we have are not so enthusiastic. Uh, I think it's even worse in some countries, like our home country, like Italy. And so thinking about that, thinking about, even though, you know, it's, it's far away, uh, because maybe, you know, it's 30, 35 years down, down the road. It's a little bit unsatisfying and also scary at some point, especially if you don't own a house to get to your 60s or 70s and having a pension that is lower than your actual salary. So that, that's definitely a major, major trigger. Right. So you opened the brokerage account just uh, again, just before the recent inflation spike. So this is yet another uh, good reason to, to invest. And also to have control about how to invest this money, right? Because some of the money go, uh, goes into these uh, pension or retirement plans, but we don't have full control. We, we have some control, but it's, it's not super clear. Or um, as you said, the forecasts are not right. So, okay, excellent. I would like to shift into more um, investing specifics questions. First of all, let's start with, let's say, a bottom-up uh, view. So how do you select stocks? Uh, uh, do you filter stocks based on some operational parameter or, or yield or uh, other variables? Do you evaluate them uh, based on DCF or multiple based models? And uh, do you get inspiration from other investors or other funds? 
So I think I'm pretty new still to this world. So what I do at the moment um, and what I've been doing is, of course, to talk to you about it. Like I think sharing logically and, and thinking critically about investment ideas is always good, as many of the greatest uh, investors also say. And the other thing is really more mechanic, like really, for example, we have a subscription to Value Line, and there are some screeners there. Uh, there are also some other screeners like Ticker that is uh, suggested by the Swedish investors, like uh, another YouTuber. And here you can select different parameters. So, for example, some parameters that I uh, look for are a high return on total capital, a consistent, um, consistent uh, increase in earnings over the last five to ten years, consistent high operating margins, uh, maybe a high earnings predictability, which would suggest a stable business and a sort of moat in the business. And then sometimes even a low PE or a relative PE ratio that, that also help. And then I read, I think you suggested it to me, the book by uh, Greenblatt, uh, or the two or three books by Greenblatt on the magic formula. They're basically, and we will talk about this, I guess, in the channel, the main stories that you have to look for uh, companies with a high return on total capital and with a low PE. That's kind of how it works. And there's this website, it's called magicformula.com, something like that, where you can sign up for free and then you can select the uh, market cap, the maximum market cap of your stocks. And then you can ask either for uh, 30 or 50 stocks and the algorithm um, will just give them to you. Uh, so that's a, also a good place to start. I think I, every now and then I go there and it's nice when you find some of those stocks that you also found with your screeners. And then, yes, the second step is maybe to, like we do in the channel, to do, for example, multiple based model. I'm not uh, yet into re-DCF myself. I think I'm more learning in the channel. But yes, so basically trying to have more sources and try to see if you have some sort of consistency of your stock picks through the sources. And then regarding inspirations, I do, of course, uh, go to Dataroma, to the, in the Super Investors tab, just to see what Warren has done, what Charlie has done, Monish, and so, so forth. I think it's helpful, although copying, merely copying, is, is never a good idea. Right, right. And I have to say that some of the results from your filters are extremely good. So sometimes you uh, give me folders full of uh, value line uh, documents uh, about stocks that turn out to be very, very good to, to evaluate. What about portfolios? So, so you have uh, your own portfolio and uh, how uh, do you manage it? So do you contribute periodically to, to the account? or not? Do you reinvest the dividends when they come in? So, yeah, uh, we'll talk, I think, also more in details in the channel about the portfolio. Uh, if we look at mine specifically, since the story, as I said, is that I started investing in uh, October, the result so far is that I am around 95% cash, which I think it's normal if you start investing at the end of a market cycle, uh, because as we've seen also in the channel, and as you see also through different indicators that are, there are few stocks that are good to buy at the moment. At least this is what we, 
what we think. There are a few, and we'll also talk about these, that are actually very nice at the moment, but I haven't had the, uh, so far, the, the, the idea of buying even more. And so I haven't gone above the, these 5 7% in asset in stocks that I have in my, in my portfolio. Of course, um, I hope that long-term, it will be kind of flipped so that maybe that I will be 95% invested or something like that. Regarding the uh, monthly contributions, yes, I think I try to contribute around maybe 30 or 35% of my salary, even though now it's just a transfer of cash. I don't buy right away exactly for these reasons. Regarding dividends, I don't reinvest them. Automatically, I have very few uh, stocks that pay me a dividend, and these are also very small dividends, of course. And the idea is that I always would like to see and to decide where to where to invest or reinvest these, these dividends. Okay, so from a value investing perspective, most of the stocks uh, seem to be overvalued, so, so you refrain from, from investing in them right now. Uh, but as you said, so probably we are in the mid-late stage of the cycle. So what's your plan for a bear market? Yeah, the plan would be to just stay uh, patient. I expect that even if I'm only 5% in at the moment, I will gradually invest more and more. Uh, but this will happen, of course, as the, the market will go down, if it will. And so as we talked also among ourselves, this would mean that at some point, even my portfolio will be down, for example, minus 10, minus 20%, something like that. But as we learned and as we are learning from also the greatest investors by reading their books and so on, it's just how it goes. Uh, what was it? Charlie Munger no, said that you, you have to be able to stomach a 50% loss or unrealized loss, right? So I think this, this is what will happen, but hopefully we're going to be able to buy the stocks we like at much cheaper prices. And then from there, just keep contributing every month and being patient over the next decades, and then we'll see. Okay, so now let's switch uh, to a, a top-down view on, uh, on the economy. And let's talk a little bit about macroeconomics. So we mentioned about uh, the market cycle, that we are in the mid-late stage, uh, but there are many other variables uh, that are leading indicators of uh, recessions or um, many other sorts of indicators like unemployment, PMI, uh, the interest rates, inflation. So are these indicators important in your investing strategies? Do you care uh, about macroeconomics at all? I do care um, to the extent where I think that everyone that is investing should have an idea about what's going on in the economy. Uh, but I'm not able and I don't plan on forecasting the exact end, for example, of the market cycle and these kind of things. As we are recording today and inflation is very high, this is one of the examples of those factors that we have to know about, I think. Um, it also affects your planning on you know, whether you want to buy a house or these kind of things, because then there would be 
interest rates that will, will go up as they are right now and so mortgage rates will also change. I think having an understanding of this is, is crucial. Um, and then understanding what it means when rates go up or where when the yield curve inverts, like those kind of very simple things, I think helps you navigate through the the cycle. Like as you said also in the other interview, the fact that when you know that, for example, the Fed is increasing the rates, um, you are more fearful, uh, like you are not going to invest as much. I think that's a good example of how to use some macroeconomics um, data or inputs into your more local and um, yeah investing strategy. Of course, for example, when interest rates go up, uh, many assets, uh, the, the price of many assets goes down. So if one could be able to forecast the interest rate path, it would be very useful. But uh, what about uh, then other asset classes? Uh, there's uh, surely gold, uh, there are bonds and real estate in, uh, in, one can access the real estate market in several different ways and What's your view on other assets uh, beyond equities? So for sure, I'm not investing in bonds. It's also something that I think it's you know simpler to understand than stocks, but with lower returns. This is known, like I guess, historically, right? So I'm I'm not planning on putting my money in bonds. Um, the same goes for gold. Um, somehow, I, that it just doesn't trigger anything in me maybe you know i will change my mind in a few years but for now not not at all and regarding real estate so personally at some point maybe i would like to buy a house but we'll see what happens so far um what i've been doing and this is also a consequence of a conversation that we had is investing in REITs and i think this is an easy way to be exposed uh, to real estate and get a dividend and um and so forth. So now let's uh, jump into a more funny part of the interview. So what are some of your recent picks? Can you tell us? Yes. So for sure, I remember Facebook, which now is Meta, because as I said, so I started investing in October 2021. And at that time, I had placed some very conservative orders um, coming from some very simple analysis about a few companies you know that i that i knew and that i wanted to own um, and i remember that i placed an order a limit order at maybe 240 dollars for facebook which at the time was trading maybe at least at 350 now i'm not really sure and i remember that one night it went down uh, at least 20 25 percent uh, after hours and one morning when I woke up, I saw one of your messages telling me about it. And that was, uh, that, that was interesting because, you know, that was a very conservative order to me. And to have it there in a few hours was very, was very impressive. Um, was there, I don't know, there was not a stock split, right? It was just, it went down from, because now it's 170. Yes. Okay, so it just collapsed in a way. And that was the interesting part that what was my conservative order at that time became a not so conservative order in a way, since now I think the last time I bought it 
was probably $160, something like that. So I, I kept uh, buying more. In the section of the interview, I wish I knew. So can you tell us some, some of your uh, previous errors or traps you've fallen into, either of omission or commission? Yeah. Uh, so for sure, one trap or one mistake was that um, before I went back to the brokerage account that I, that I use now, which is on Interactive Brokers, I also had this eToro, uh, which is very different, right, from, from Interactive Broker. There are lots of CFDs um, and there's this copy trader, which at that time was kind of appealing uh, to me, and as it can be to many people. Especially at the end of a bull market in 2021, there were so many people showing crazy returns. And so you, you are so biased, right? And you're like, oh, maybe, you know, I should copy and give my money to the, to these guys. So that was a big trap in a way that I, that I understood. Not only because, um, you know, can it be something wrong? Because maybe you just don't want to buy things that you don't understand. But also because, and that's, this I realized, especially living in Scandinavia and in Denmark, that what other people buy might be a disaster for you tax-wise. Maybe there are certain things that you shouldn't buy. You can be exposed to the same thing through different um, tools. Uh, so that was definitely something that taught me to look more carefully into what I should buy. For example, here in Denmark, um, you, you can't really buy an index, um, like for example, uh, VOO or SPY. So you can't really buy non-Danish ETFs because otherwise you're going to pay taxes on unrealized gains. So you can only, so if you don't want to pay taxes on unrealized gains, you should buy Danish ETFs. And that's really something that changes uh, your game. That's why at the beginning, when I got Interactive Broker, my idea was to put at least 80% of my money into an ETF. And the rules here kind of forced me to do stock picking. Okay. Um, so maybe that will be a blessing in disguise. So the final part of the interview is about the end game. Uh, and uh, this is a very open-ended question about whether or not there is a target uh, for you and uh, what could change in, uh, uh, let's say, a decade or something like this, some, the medium long term, if your investing journey goes uh, as we can predict based on history. Yeah, one goal or one milestone would be for sure, I think this is also similar to what you said, if you have a dividend coming from your portfolio, that covers what you consider your living expenses, which might be even lower than the current ones. So, for example, if long term you see yourself living somewhere, maybe even in the same country, but just, you know, maybe in a different city and your expenses could be lower than the current ones and those can be covered by dividends, that's a great milestone because it gives you the possibility to, to live a very different life. This doesn't mean necessarily quitting your job, but you have this building and growing wealth before you retire, which de definitely helps your peace of mind. 
So there's no number specifically. Like if I was living in Manhattan, my number would have been much different than here. Um, so yeah, it depends on what I want to do, where I want to live, and how much I need to to live the life I want to live. Yeah. So, th so this is something that dividend investor dividend investors call the crossover point. Yeah. Okay. So. It has been a great pleasure to interview you. Let's keep going with this interview series and thanks a lot. Thank you, Guy. It was a pleasure.